Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Hey, quality people. Welcome back for episode number 32 of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today, I want to start today's show by highlighting two upcoming events that I think will be a value add for you all. First is connected to the Society of Health Systems, which we've highlighted plenty across past episodes. The major conference for this group is coming in February of 2020, and this is the Healthcare Systems Process Improvement Conference. Well, right now, the group is actually accepting proposals for presentations and posters, and there's some time sensitivity with this as the deadline for submissions is September 13th of 2019. The next key conference that you all should have on your calendar ties directly into today's show. Covering the dates of October 24th and 25th in Charleston, South Carolina, is the 2019 Performance Improvement Conference hosted by the Medical University of South Carolina. This will be my third year attending this conference and second year presenting. Last year, I shared a fun, low-key kind of a presentation related to strategy facilitation and execution. This year, I'll actually be going way off the beaten path by sharing a presentation around the top five ways that podcasting has helped both my professional career and my growing business. I love this conference because it's a great example of a leading healthcare organization pulling together a forum centered on quality and process improvement, but openly marketing to any and all industries that are interested. I mean, imagine just attending a healthcare conference and connecting with quality people from manufacturing, hospitality, military, and any other sector that you can think of. Most impressively, every year the conference is reasonably affordable. I find that it's large enough so that you can receive a good deal of variety in the presentations and the networking, but small enough that you can still develop personal connections with the other leaders through the course of the two days. Now again, that's coming up on October 24th and 25th. Now again, that's coming up on October 24th and 25th, but here in today's episode, you'll hear a little bit more about the event directly from one of its organizers, Mrs. Jennifer Hooks. Jennifer is the manager of the Performance Improvement Department at the Medical University of South Carolina and is a retired Air Force E-9 Chief Master Sergeant with 32 years of clinical, administrative, and performance improvement experience in hospital, ambulatory care, and dental facilities in a variety of settings worldwide. At MUSC, Jennifer and her team of Six Sigma Green and Black Belts support executive leadership teams in the development and deployment of their Lean Six Sigma program throughout the organization, and they support this by developing and delivering Lean Six Sigma training programs and also in leading system-wide improvement projects. Jennifer has an MBA in Human Resources, a BS in Occupational Education and Health Administration. She's a certified Six Sigma Master Black Belt, a Lean Sensei. She's a member of ASQ. Um, She's also a member of the Institute for Industrial and Systems Engineers, Society of Health Systems, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, and the Project Management Institute. Here in episode number 32, Jennifer opens the show with a great leadership mindset. She shares her 
her career journey from the Air Force and into her current leadership role, she highlights the value of Deming's 14 points of management and breaks down the cultural differences between military leadership culture and civilian hospital culture. She shares a great tactic for letting teams vent their emotions when launching new projects. She connects her major career aha moment with one of the tastiest training exercises ever. Jennifer highlights an often overlooked opportunity for health systems to focus on aligning cultures following company mergers. And for me, after reviewing this session, I really wish that I had stayed on that topic just a little bit longer, really could have dug in deeper there. Jennifer then calls on all quality people to become better storytellers and turns our mentor question around and highlights the power of personal sponsorships. Jennifer, you are truly one of a kind from all of the value that you're delivering in today's show to the leadership with the conference and the exceptional team that you're building there at MUSC. I thank you sincerely for the contributions that you're bringing to the industry and also for your past service to this country. Quality people, I know that you're going to find a ton of value in this episode, and I promise that you'll also find a ton of value in the upcoming MUSC conference. Please be sure to check it out at www.healthcare-pi.com forward slash pi hyphen conference. Be sure to plan your trip so that following the conference, you can actually hang out in Charleston for the weekend. After listening to this episode, please be sure to leave a rating and review in iTunes for us. And please be sure to return next week because I'll be bringing you yet another quality episode with another quality person. All right. So, Jennifer, are you ready to share with some quality people? Yes, Jarvis, I am. Wonderful. Thank you so much, first and foremost, for plugging into this show. And Jennifer, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I would love for you to share a favorite quote or a favorite mindset with our listeners, but also share with us how do you apply it on a daily basis? Okay. I, I guess my, my favorite quote is is really simple. It's be sincere, be brief, and be seated. And Franklin D. Roosevelt, I had read an article, and, and that was a quote that he would say all the time. And I know it had a lot to do with public speaking, but I feel as though as a quality professional, I think this fits with what we do every day. You know, I have consulted many teams over the years, and it's an art form that had to be developed of saying the right thing in the right way at the right time. And so I feel it's important not to mistake content quantity for content quality. So be sincere, be brief, and be seated. Wonderful. I love it. And you're absolutely spot on as quality professionals. We just have to come in and get it out, do it the right way, but um, kind of set it up for the next person within that path to take the ball and run with. So I love that mindset to get us started. Um Jennifer, just as you know, um, to our quality people, they're going to learn. But as I, you know, came up with the idea for this podcast and uh, started thinking about the people that I wanted to pull onto the show, um, you were actually one of the first folks that I thought about, and probably one of the first folks that I um, extended an invite to. Um, I've always enjoyed, again, just interacting with you, your team over at MUSC, um, the conferences that you guys do for the last couple of years now, to me are just some of the best. It's small, it's personal, and it's just 100% value add. So, uh, Jennifer, I would love for you 
to share with me and with our listeners, what was your formal introduction into quality? Uh, what led you into this career path, and how did you get started? Well, well, my career started a long time ago, and it started, I can say, about 30-something years ago because I was on active duty with the U.S. Air Force. I'm a proud Air Force veteran, and it seemed like it, I remember back in the late 80s, um, quality was kind of mandated by DOD, and we started what we talked about, the TQM journey. And then early in the 90s, they had another initiative in the Air Force called Quality Air Force, and it really was an attempt to bring quality control to a lot of activities that we were doing in the Air Force. And what the Air Force did was started uh, with us learning Deming's 14 points. This has kind of started embedding into the culture of Air Force members, but Deming's fifth point, was probably honed in on the most everybody had to really start thinking about from an Air Force healthcare environment, really how do we improve constantly and forever. That was just like a motto, improving constantly and forever. And so this component of, you know, it's just really how do we start continuous improvement thinking. And I I can tell you, Jarvis, I remember my first project ever in the Air Force and my first sergeant came in and he says, I want to give you this task and I want you to get this supply room in order. That's all he told me. And so I didn't know anything back then about 5S and 8 waste, but I knew at that point, I was like, okay, I have to figure out something to get this supply room in order. So I knew I needed to clean it up. I needed to organize it. So I got with a bunch of folks in supply chain to come and help me with the initiative. And it's like now 30 years later, I'm still loving quality and I'm still helping people clean up supply rooms and do 5S and do waste walks. So that's that's kind of my whole background with quality was from the Air Force. All right. Wonderful. And uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you for your service. Thank you still for having that pride in the military forces that, that still shines again. And in my interactions with you and the way you guys acknowledge military forces, even during your conferences, I appreciate that. Um, you, you touched on the Deming's 14 points. Um, I will say, at least from my experience and how I've come up in quality, mm-hmm. I think the 14 points is something that a lot of us maybe nowadays, and, and you know, maybe it's just the the fact that it, it, those those fourteen points came out so long ago, late seventies, early eighties, more or less. Right. Um, could you take a second and highlight the fourteen points um, again, maybe for some of our quality people that are not very familiar or connected with them? Um, I personally think it's something that we we like all of us should have the 14 points plastered on our wall somewhere because it was the foundation of TQM. Um, a lot of the elements of lean and six sigma nowadays are, you know, 100% connected to those 14 points and they're still very relevant today. But could you mm-hmm. kind of give a quick uh, introduction to the 14 points? Yeah, well, Deming, you know, he started really with this model of quality management and really trying to hone in on, you know, what what is some quick points that we can put out for people to understand. And, you know, it, it really was a 
encompassing a lot of different things that we talked about in quality a long time ago, but like you said, it's still, you know, going on now. And as I pointed out, you know, we honed in on number five with improving constantly and forever with continuous improvement thinking, but a lot of it, you know, was talking about driving out fear, looking at consistency of purpose and different things that we do. How do we adopt this new philosophy and different ways of thinking? Um, one key thing, too, I, I noticed he, he always liked to talk, you know, we always got all of these tools and these toolboxes, and we like to throw out all of this jargon. But that was one of his things, you know, eliminate all the slogans and the jargon. Basically, how do you get your workforce to think about quality? And it doesn't have to be all of that. But everybody in the company is another thing that has to have some type of accomplishment and transformation into this whole quality thinking. So has a he's got a lot of points. I tell people that, you know, you can go out there and Google Demons 14 points and you can rattle off all of them, but those are the ones that, you know, come to my mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely research them quickly and apply them in our show notes, but um, no, I agree. I, I, I love – the the point about the eliminating slogans and that's something you know healthcare every you know every other month we have some new slogan or some <laughs> new rah rah event related to quality as opposed to internally just adopting that philosophy across leadership across staff so um, no I just appreciate you saying it uh, that that's uh, an element that I think we could probably do a better job of just kind of keeping on the forefront with the work that we do. Um, right. Right. Perfect, Jennifer. Thank you very much for that introduction. And now I want to take us into what I've been calling the the dark place with our professional journeys. And would love for you to take a second, uh, take a second, take a few minutes actually, to share with our listeners uh, a moment in your career as a healthcare quality leader that you would actually consider perhaps one of your worst moments. But share with us, you know, the moment, what was going on, but also some of the decisions that you were trying to think through in order to turn that moment around? You know, this is a hard one. As I can tell you, it's both quality leaders. You know, most of us have like a perfectionist gene in us with a little bit of slight A personality type. So when you talk about saying the word worse, you know, that doesn't resonate well with a lot of us. So I I can say I I never had a a worse moment. Uh, However, I had more than a few moments where I had to say, okay, this isn't working. Let me regroup and do something different. And, And I think being in the military for so long, and then this is my first job at MUSC out the military. So one project I can think of in particular was uh, one of my first 5S projects that I had at MUSC. And I I went into this area and started asking the manager about par levels and stockouts and usage reports. And, you know, my supply chain mind just started going. And and I looked at her, and I could immediately tell she was overwhelmed. And so I had to, like, apologize and explain some of the terms that I was using. And even after apologizing, I, I could still feel like this wall had went up and the dynamics wasn't the same. And so at this point, I just had to do, like, service recovery and decided to 
meet with supply chain on her behalf, and I had to keep making this point that I, I was here to help her and not seem as though I was criticizing. And also I had to remember that my leadership training is a totally different environment than what I noticed in healthcare civilian sectors. And so the expectations of what leaders needed to know in the military was totally different than what they need to know as a leader in, in, in healthcare organizations now that I see. And so I I turned it around, though, and had an opportunity to work with our chief of supply chain and explain the need that I thought from the organization that we needed some type of supply chain 101 for our leadership. And they really started buying into that concept of maybe we, you know, have leaders in our organization that don't understand what par levels are and don't understand these concepts that we think they should. And so we developed that course for the people to understand just the basic elements of supply chain. So I think I that took that moment and worked with our leaders to make it better. And also my 5S team manager's project, it was successful. She ended up saving a few thousand dollars in her area, but I knew that i helped her when she asked me a few times after that to come and help her with some other initiative. So it all turned out well in the end for, for both of us. All right, wonderful. Well, uh, I know maybe one of the first things I picked out as you shared your story there was the the approach, I guess, you took at the very start of that engagement with that, that team lead to um, kind of go in and, and kind of set forth the vision for the improvement effort, but you got the feelings around you know, the the barriers coming up and the resistance to change. Um, but then what I kind of wrote down and maybe would like to throw an extra question at you around um, is maybe the, the difference between the military approach to leadership and either the civilian approach or at least that cultural um, healthcare approach to leadership. Um, I've had the chance to work with a few CNOs previously that, also came from the military, and what I found different in their leadership approach versus some other leaders I've worked with is uh, they tend to have this amazing focus around accountability, um, kind of the, you know, do what you say, say what you're going to do kind of approach, and, uh, you know, it was an approach that I personally appreciated, but I know it did rub other leaders a different way, so I'd love to maybe get your thoughts on some differences between the two different cultures and how have you transitioned and kind of embodied the two differences to, to you know, move forward with your team there? Yeah, you know, just just from a military culture, is is basically, you know, we are held accountable for a higher standard. And when people are asked to do something, you know, we follow rules. It's very directive and, and to the point it's no black and white is no really everything's usually for us in black and white and not too many gray areas to play into. And so just coming into a civilian healthcare organization, it it's a little different. It we play in the gray areas a lot. I, I can tell you a funny story right quick. When I, I first got to here and we went through I went through orientation they told us, okay, you have to wear your badge, you know, on your lapel so your patients can see who you are, that you're part of MUSC. 
And every time I thought I was turning into the badge police because I was like, why is everybody's badge on their waistband and not up top on their lapel so our patients can see? And it, it, and I was like, okay, Jennifer, you need to calm down right now. I was like, but that's what you told us you needed to do. And so it's like we need to hold ourselves accountable because to me, you know, we don't hold ourselves accountable for the small things then how are you expecting people to hold themselves accountable for the bigger things that we ask them to do? Wonderful. No, I I agree. I, I could definitely uh, relate to those sentiments. Um, so perfect. Um, and, and then maybe one other quick question then. So uh, back to one of the, the original takeaways from your story, moving forward, you know, if you had the chance, or I'm sure at that time you, I know for sure you probably took the chance to reflect like, Man, you know, I came in and you know we we set forth the goal and I encountered the resistance. Um, given the chance to do it again, what would be a different approach that you would take, if any, um, or or maybe just some reflections that you had in that moment, given that that initial interaction with that that team member? Really, I, I can say don't make assumptions that people know things, and to me, don't let the don't let perfect be the enemy of good um, is another thing. Challenge um, of perfection can intimidate people, and so they don't even try to work with you. And so that's one thing that I, I've learned just being in this different culture, different environment, is to settle down and, and get to know my customer a little bit first and then figure out how I can work with them according to who they are. All right. Perfect. Wonderful. I love all of those great takeaways. Uh, Jennifer, I want to move us to the next question. Um, as a quality person, what's a tip or a tool or a tactic that you would share with other quality people that uh, works really well for building up that intimate connection within project teams? And we'd love for you to share what it is and how do you apply it? Let people vent. Okay. And say, every time I start a, a new project and I start working with a new project team, my first meeting is for venting only. Um, I think we need to take time to let the emotions out before we start jumping to root causes and jumping to solutions. I had to understand that change is hard and, and change comes with all projects that we work on. And people, I notice they usually don't take time to manage that change and they really don't think through all the repercussions of change to what they're working with for the organization. And I know we desire quick change, but we need to make sure that we're communicating effectively, you know, involving people and getting buy-in from everyone involved in the change process because if we don't do that, our change efforts and our projects are more likely to fail. Well, I love that thought process, um, letting people vent, kind of getting the anger out. Um, I I was trying to think back. Um, I, I don't know the exact name of it. It may be it may be called the change curve. I'm trying to think if, if there's a better, uh, I guess, more formal title for it, but. Um, it, it almost kind of acts like the, the five stages of um, death or the five stages right. of acceptance. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, anger is on the curve, right? Right. Um, so giving giving folks a chance to get it out the system and work towards a point of accepting change. Um, I, I love that feedback. That's perfect. 
let me uh, let me ask you this, um, just to move us to the next question, Jennifer. Would love for you to share with our listeners, our quality people, one of your best aha moments that you've had as a quality professional. But um, again, for this, walk us through the moment or walk us through the situation in which the idea came to you. Um, you know what was going on, the decisions, and most definitely, if you were able to share, uh, turn that into a personal or professional success. I have to keep going back to my Air Force training. Um, for us, training was the number one priority in the military, and we had individual training plans, had leadership training, succession training, and so when I retired and I came into this job, I noticed this wasn't the case, and so when we started, it's like, okay, we need to bring Lean and Six Sigma concepts into this large academic medical center. It's like, how am I going to do that? And so I built our first one-hour Lean Six Sigma course just to try to get people's feet wet in this type of thinking. And I used the basic peanut butter and jelly making scenario to walk participants through our version of Demaic. And so the surveys were great, and the majority of the people were asking for more. And this was my aha moment that the importance of training for your employees, both whether they're new or experienced, uh, really cannot be overemphasized. And so I thought to myself, well, this just can't be here that people want to learn, you know, more. So I started beginning beginning to build more classes and started writing more abstracts and have been accepted to speak at many conferences on the successes we had at MUSC with our training. And so with the assistance of my team here, we now have 15 classes in our training program. And I'm pretty excited about that. And the one-hour, we call our peanut butter and jelly-making class, you know, NAS a prerequisite for attending some of our other classes. And we continuously have full classrooms of people just eager to learn. So just the fact that we, we have to keep this learning concept in our minds and our organizations. Nice. The, uh, the you know, the, the focus around lean Specifically, but Lean and Six Sigma being continuous learners, um, I think that's really cool. I would love for you, uh, or maybe I'd love to at least ask for the trainings that you guys do because uh, you are the healthcare center and you're connected to a university. Is it um, just a program for healthcare facility for the healthcare side of the business, or um, is it an actual course that if other learners and other listeners wanted to plug into, is it something that outsiders of MUSC could could also plug into? Because right now, all of our courses are currently just internal for our academic medical center and our colleges and, you know, all our employees here. But I know we have been trying to move into how could we start bringing more to the public. And so that's in our vision to hopefully get that done one day. 
Yeah, I, I could imagine there. there's going to be a lot of really good demand. I mean, we're both here in the southeast region of the U.S., and uh, not a ton of uh, organizations, you know, with the brand and the expertise of MUSC that does that. So um, I can see that being a, a potential business model for you. Um, but I was definitely trying to get some info if our listeners could plug in. I, I'm sure they would love to look into that, too, when it's ready. Next question I have for you, Jennifer. What are some of the changes taking place across the healthcare industry right now that you are personally excited about, and what role do you see quality professionals playing to uh, promote it or to support this long-term success? Well, you know, Jarvis, healthcare is continuously changing. It's like every single day um, we can read something, new research, everything's changing constantly. But one one thing that I, I've noticed, and MUSC has been a part of that, is hospital mergers and acquisitions are increasing at a rapid rate. Um, MUSC just purchased four additional hospitals in the last few months. And healthcare organizations, you know, we need to carefully review these practices and procedures and how do we get these other facilities um, looking at their cultures during and after merger. There's a, a lot of change and a lot of emotions, different things that happen when you start combining um, organizations. And we have to figure out, is our staff adequately prepared and trained for these new challenges? And, and I know one thing, one of our great leaders here, our Chief Quality Officer, Danielle Shera, she briefed her 100-day plan for integration of our new um, facilities. And one of her top things was um, training and performance improvement. You know, that was a top priority for her that she explained to our leadership. And quality professionals with our expertise, you know, we will be vital to assisting hospitals with these new ventures. All right, wonderful. I love love, uh, the work. Um, I've had a chance to sit uh, in a course, uh, I think it was one being taught by Eric around um, FMEAs, and hands down, probably the best FMEA training course I ever had a chance to be a part of. So um, awesome training and the focus to continue developing skill sets. I love it. Next question I have for you, Jennifer, is how can the healthcare industry become a more attractive place for ambitious and talented quality professionals to either start or grow their careers? No, this, this is a really good question because, you know, I work with a lot of students, so I, I hear that question come up. And I, I think just for them, um, we have a aging population, you know, huge number of our so-called baby boomers, you know, they're reaching their senior years, and, you know, that's impacting the number of current and future health care opportunities that, you know, be available and our healthcare industry as a whole is really growing. We have so many different medical advances, improvement in medicine and research. Uh, technology is just on fire now and in every healthcare organization. This is something totally different than what was in the past. And it's really affecting the demand that we have in, in healthcare. So for me, I, I think it's left up to us as quality leaders to continue to take opportunities to brag on what we do and how our profession is important for the future of health care. You know, we, we have to start beginning to be storytellers. That's what I think. You know, 
if we can visit more colleges, more high schools, you know, participate in career days, you know, we, we have to keep getting the word out of about the profession and how is how much important it is for the future of healthcare. Um, one other thing, though, I, as far as when we're talking about um, making it more attractive, I, I must say that we also need to work with our healthcare leadership and our HR teams to continue to give them the trends and equity of pay compared to other industries because sometimes I think we're missing the mark. And so if we are not able to hire and retain, if we don't offer great pay and benefits to people that want to come into our profession in healthcare. Your points around the pay and the trends and trying to keep up with other industries that, that would hire folks with our backgrounds and so forth, um, I, I've heard that throughout my career and, um, you know, other colleagues and other folks that I've had a chance to connect or mentor and support their career paths, that's that's one of those um, ongoing points. Um, I, I'm hoping to actually get a, a healthcare leader onto this uh, future show to talk mm-hmm. about kind of the, or excuse me, I said a healthcare leader, uh, a HR leader, human resources mm-hmm. leader, to kind of talk about quality from the HR point of view and help um, hopefully many of our listeners, you know, get some insight to the world of uh, human resources as, as it applies to us. But um, to some of your points about bragging, um, I think that to me is probably the number one thing we should do or one of the top things, and we can literally like start that tomorrow. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing holding us back to brag or to start a podcast highlighting quality people or, you know, just to do those things to really get the uh, the discipline out there. So um, I, I really, really agree with that. I appreciate that statement there. So, Jennifer, you are right there at the halfway point of okay. our interview, and I would love to move us into a section we call the two-minute drill, kind of our rapid-fire section of our interview. So uh, just taking a quick pulse check and seeing if you are ready. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, perfect. Uh, First question I have for you is, could you tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best day in and day out as a quality professional? um, As the master black belt in our organization and in my adjunct faculty role here in the colleges, I spend about 40% of my time only developing and organizing targeted training for our healthcare team and students, whether it's Lean, Six Sigma, change management, and so many other topics um, that that I participate and provide training for. And I think my ultimate goal is to continually change the culture of my organization. And in the classroom, I feel that providing this knowledge is changing the mindset of of training participants. You know, it makes me feel good when I see people using improvement techniques on their own. You know, if I'm in a meeting, I might hear somebody say, yeah, we need to go to the gimbal. I was like, oh, okay, they're, you know, they're getting it. I don't have anything to do with that. And so it, it just feels like a sense of accomplishment is felt for me and the organization as a whole when I when I see all of this training just being used now and people working on different projects without somebody from my department, but they might just call and and ask for some consultation or some help. 
And so that's just that whole great feeling of accomplishment for this organization when I can see that happening from day to day. Sounds like when quality is winning, that that inspires you to keep going, right? <laughs> right. All right, perfect. Uh, what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? I think it's never stop learning. Um, I, I feel as though learning keeps you relevant, and you know, in our ever-changing world, you know, whether whether we're reading a book, attending a lecture, you know, somebody listening to your great podcast. Um, I believe the most valuable thing for us is just knowledge. You know, everything else, you know, in our lives, we've got money, health, things, you know. You know, they come and go, but I don't think as far as from a knowledge standpoint, that's one thing that somebody can't take from you. And so you just need to have to keep acquiring more and more knowledge. So for me, never stop learning was some advice I got a really long time ago. All right, wonderful. And Jennifer, do you have a mentor that has made an impact on your career? Hmm. Yeah, I I hear people talk about mentors, and I I got to admit to you, when I think about what the true definition of what a mentor is and and what they do, I, I can say I've really never had a mentor. Um, as a minority and a female professional, having a sponsor and was probably more of a, a career champion, so to speak, was probably what I needed more in my career, not a true mentor. And so when I talk about a good sponsor that was in my life, I, I go back to my Air Force career, and his name is Colonel Douglas Anderson. And he was a great visionary leader, and he pivoted me into the right boardrooms, the correct after-five socials, and even on the golf course, in which I don't play golf, by the way. I just want to put that out there. But he said, you know, basically, in order to be a successful leader both in and out the military, he was just taking me and putting me in places that I felt as though, you know, okay, I needed to be there. But never like some mentors on a personal level that we ever got to that point. And so I, I can remember that when he I want to talk about that golf thing for a minute. And and he told me, you don't know how to play golf. I mean, you don't want to learn how to play golf. And then he said, um, do you know how to drive the golf cart? So I thought this was like a weird question. So I was like, yes, just like driving a car. And so I became the beer golf cart driver. And I also became the most important person on the golf course. And that sponsorship got me to know more people, took me more places than you can ever imagine. So for me, sponsorship can have a tremendous impact on organizations, especially when it comes to cultivating diversity and retaining talent and training leaders. Um, I think that's important because I, I think that's missing in a lot of organizations. Well, uh, so first I appreciate the story. Um, I'm not a golf player, and I've gotten, you know, the career advice about how you got to get out there and network. 
Um, I never thought about being the designated driver <laughs> for, for the golf games. So um, that, that's really important, I think, uh, for a lot of our listeners that may struggle with some of the networking. Hopefully that is a, that's a nice hack, so I appreciate that. Um, I really appreciate your thoughts around, you know, differentiating sponsor versus mentor. And what I, what I took away and how you described it there is that the sponsor is really concerned about just putting you in the right professional situations um, to to help you move along in your career path versus, you know, a mentor kind of does that, but the mentor also, you're going to develop a personal relationship. You know, that's going to be a person you're probably going to talk to, you know, probably for several years, if not like the rest of your life or career. But mm-hmm. that sponsor is just going to be there to say make move A, not move B, or consider this versus that in order for right. you to take the next step. Would that be a good definition there? Yeah, that's a, a great definition. And and for me, I, I guess with your definition and saying it that way, it's like that's not what I needed for my career as a mentor. I, I got a great husband of 32 years. I got my family, so when it, and I have my best friends. And so when I need that personal time, I, I need that separated from what I do for my career goals. And so that that's just me personally. No, that's perfect. I, I think that's that's a good distinction. That's something thing um, that I know I, I can personally noodle on for a while because you're right. I think there are times we just want the clean cut, like give it to me straight business advice or career advice without, um, you know, without the need to kind of get super entangled in the personal lives, I guess. So right. um, that's something to think through, something to think through there. Perfect. Uh, Jennifer, can you share a personal habit that contributes to your success when you lead quality initiatives? This one was something I had to really practice, and is practice active listening. And and I can tell you this is not easy. You know, so I've come a long way working on this skill of active listening. And so as a quality professional, you know, you're always driven to lend a helping hand, and you always want to help give the great advice and move teams to their outcomes. And over the years, moving away from the talking advisor to the listening advisor, you know, has helped me be more successful. You know, I noticed we we offer so much public speaking and presentation skills, and we never really offer courses on listening. And and I noticed that, so I now teach active listening and emotional intelligence courses these important soft skills, you know, to help them be successful just, and it helps me be more successful as well. Well, as I've gotten my coaching business up more and more, um, the, the soft skills 100% are really the skills that I'm leaning on. It's the technical skills gave me the confidence to start it, but now it's the soft skills that I think are are driving, you know, the the success more or less. Um, but listening is probably the number one. So perfect. Next question for you, um, Jennifer. Do you have a favorite uh, internet resource or a, a mobile app resource that helps you to be the most productive? That I I I stay on the internet. I I travel to and from work on public transportation, so this gives me a lot of opportunity to read 
But I, I guess I have two, and they come into my email daily. It's the advisory board daily briefing and the education is advisory board daily briefing. And just this morning, you know, it's like every day when I'm reading, it's like it's always something that I can get a little tidbit of information to help me with some projects that I'm working on. Just like this morning in the advisory board, they had a great infographic um, with sharing a story about helping with the opioid epidemic. And I'm working on a project now about opioids in the state of South Carolina. And also the Education Advisory Board had a great article on some ways to improve emotional intelligence with your team. So I've got some little concepts that I can add into my training class. So working in an academic medical center, I think both of these daily briefings give me some top issues in healthcare and academia. And so it kind of helps me gauge where my organization is on some of the same issues, and it just helps me with what my projects and my teaching. All right, perfect. And could you please share with our quality people one professional association or one professional conference that you think will be a value add? Charis, this is a hard one. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. This is really hard. There's so many great associations out there. I'm a member of so many different associations and speak at so many conferences. Um, All right, uh, give, give us two or three then. Yeah, you are such a, a big wealth of knowledge that I will expand that question just for you, Jennifer. Okay, I appreciate that. So I, I guess from a professional association, um, the IISC Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineer, um, I'm not an engineer by trade, however, I'm a system help provide so much knowledge and training and network opportunities for me. And also I can say ASQ. I've been a ASQ just when you talk about a wealth of knowledge there to help you in your career. I can put them in the top if I'm thinking about that question. Now the professional conference one, now Jarvis, this is you know this one is hard and, and I have to give a shout out for my performance improvement concert conference that's sponsored by MUSC that we do every year. Um my CEO gave us that charge um five years ago that he wanted us to bring a conference on performance improvement to um South Carolina and we've been doing that so I think it's a fantastic boutique conference. You know, we always have a great lineup of speakers. Um, you know, you were one of our speakers before, and we also have manufacturing and healthcare tours. And so, I, I have to brag about our conference a little bit more. So, yeah, I, I would have been disappointed <laughs> if you if you did. <laughs> uh, do you do you happen to have the date um, available to share? Uh, I would. Go back and I'll absolutely put it in the show notes. But if you have the dates, please, uh, yeah, please it's, again give, it's it, give it a shout out. October 24th, 25th is in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. If you just Google 2019 MUSC Performance Improvement Conference, everything will come up. You can register and submit an abstract. 
and again, for me, it you said it. It's the perfect boutique. I mean, it's a perfectly sized conference. Um, the value is tremendous. And uh, for our listeners, if you plan it right, you get to hang out in Charleston for the weekend once it's over. So. Right, right. Let me move you to the next question, Jennifer. And uh, could you please recommend a book to our listeners that you think they will benefit from, but also share why will they benefit from it? I, I know one that, that I talk about here and and I like everything I know about lean I learned in the first grade. It's written by Robert Martashenko. Hope I'm not messing Robert's name up too bad, but it's written at and so no matter how far along you are on your lean journey, you know, going back to the basics is important and this book takes you there. It's a quick, easy read, but it's just amazing how you can understand the concepts from a first grader in what we're doing in, in lean thinking. Oh, so I have never heard of that book. I will absolutely really? be checking it out personally. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've never heard of that. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I, I, had a, uh, I had a leader tell me after mm-hmm. we did a training session, um, his aha moment was that lean is essentially quantified mm-hmm. common sense. <laughs> and, and I was like, you know what? I, I am going to steal that description of lean from now on. So, um, wonderful. If we could teach it yeah, to first graders I, I, and make it quantified, yeah, you, you sense, have to it. read it, Jarvis. Like I said, it's a, a quick read, and when you start reading it, you can like, okay, you're gonna get a lot of aha moments out of that. Right, wonderful. And Jennifer, we're right there at the last question, but this next question is a personal favorite because I'd like you to simultaneously reflect on your past while having you look forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Okay. I think what I'll – probably text myself in the past would be change will be great so get out there and enjoy your new life you know being in the air force for so long thinking of retirement was a bit scary and so now that i'm here life is great and and i think i probably text myself the same thing 10 years from now i'll let myself know that this statement is still true you know, so I'm already retired. I look at MUSC as my fun job. I enjoy what I'm doing. But 10 years from now, I'm still going to be enjoying my life and, and what's going on. That was wonderful messages there. Um, Jennifer, first, uh, let me thank you again for just a wonderful message and dialogue throughout the entire show. Um, I, I would love to end the day with you giving our quality people a parting piece of advice, but also sharing the best way that they can follow or connect with you on social media, and then we will sign off. Thanks. Um, Last thing I want to say is that patience is a gift pursued by many and possessed by few. Um, Being a quality professional is a profession of patience. Um, We don't need to jump to solutions and continue to actively listen and follow the process. All right, perfect. And to our quality people everywhere, thank you for listening and making us a part of your day. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.